Welcome back. This week uh, we're just going to go through a brief rundown of AEW Dark and the results. <clears throat> a little bit of what happened on the show as well. Uh, and we will go through what happened on this week's AEW Dynamite as well. So if we start with Dark. Um, the results are as follows. Luchasaurus defeated Brandon Cutler. Sammy Guevara defeated El Austral Australiano, I believe it is. Scorpio Sky defeated Nick Comorado. Shanna defeated Marty Daniels. The Butcher and the Blade defeated Mike Verna and Baron Black. The trio of the Gun Club defeated Ryzen, Barry Morales and Adam Priest. Santana and Ortiz defeated John Cruz and Danny Lam Limelight. Private Party defeated Lee Johnson and Aaron Solo. Big Swole defeated Alex Gracia. Sonny Kiss defeated Zach Clayton. Top Flight defeated AJ Kirsch and Casey Navarro. Ivelisse and Diamante defeated Catalina Perez and Tesha Price. The Acclaimed defeated Sean Dean and Fuego Del Sol. And the Lucha Brothers defeated Chaos Project. Uh, for me, the matches of the night were uh, Private Party versus Lee Johnson and Aaron Solo. And the Lucha Brothers versus Chaos Project matches. Uh, and for me, the standouts of the night were the Gun Club, Mike Verna, and Private Party. Uh, those were the standouts from Dark. Um, <clears throat> so there was a surprising lack of uh, promos on Dark. It's usually something um, that's relatively common on the show. Um, not just the uh, Dr. Britt Baker segment, The Waiting Room. Usually there's a few, um, not so much this week. The only real promo we got was um, Guevara once again talking about how uh, singles titles are very much in his sight. Continuing this theme that um, Guevara might be the first member to break off from the inner circle. Um, we'll continue talking about that possibility after reviewing Dynamite, which I'll do next. But before then... Um, there was a little bit there was a little bit of hate on Twitter for this episode of Dark. Um, usually Dark kind of flies under the radar. It's people just accept that it is a wrestling show. It, it's one of the most wrestling shows you will see. It's just a lot of matches, commentary, minimal promos. It, it is the wrestling show that a lot of people asked for. It's just not at the level that people are hoping for. In some cases, I'm not saying that all of these people are, are at some sort of lower level, because obviously they're not. There's some incredible talent that performs on Dark. Dark produce, the Dark cards produce at least two great matches every week. Um, but this week, it was two matches getting a little bit of a lambasting, a, a little bit of criticism from fans. Um... It wasn't, maybe it was the matches themselves. I mean, it, it was the matches themselves. But also, your sort of more dedicated fans were blaming the production of the show for not editing out certain things. And uh, there was a thing about Taz made a joke or something. Um, it, it blew up. Like everyone said, thinks that he said something along the lines of something Cornette would have said. Um he didn't. Taz, Taz said something very, very small, um, so don't need to worry about that. Uh, the main thing people were talking about was uh, pretty much the finish to Shanna versus Marty Daniels, 
And most of what people saw from the Big Swole versus Alex Gracia match. Um, this is probably because a lot of people, the standard that they are holding every match to in AEW is that of the matches that you will see on Dynamite and the pay-per-views. Because that's what people, people expect that. If you go to watch a WWE card, right, it's very rare that the best matches are the ones getting front, right, and center. You know what I mean? The, the ones getting the attention, the ones getting the main events. Whereas in AEW, your cards from top to bottom are usually of the same standard. Sometimes they maybe drift a little bit in the middle, but that's just to make you more hyped for the main event, of the quality of the main event. So they're holding this high standard to everyone in the roster, and... So you've got your fans sort of picking on talent who is nowhere near as experienced as the likes of what they're used to seeing. So you have a lot of people telling, um, saying that Big Swole versus Alex Gracia was, um, well, you know, a couple of quotes, drizzling shits, um, you know, outright bad. That's another, I didn't like that. Um, thing is, you watch the match, right? It's a wrestling match. You are, you, you are watching a wrestling match, and is it the worst thing you'll ever see? No. No, it is not. That's that's the thing. Was it a good match? Were either of these good matches? <sighs> no. I mean, they weren't. I mean, I, I do understand why people were, were talking about it. You know, it's not just a thing on people ragging on the women of AEW, which is what some AEW fans were using as a defense. It's it's not that because Ivelisse and Diamante versus Catalina Perez and Tesha Price was a good match. Um, even the match that we, we had on Dynamite this week was a good match. And it was far better than the, these two in, in um, on Dark. Shanna's good and Big Swole is good. This is the second time we've seen Marty Daniels on Dark. Um, she's she's kind of on the taller side. She's um, she seems she looks like she would be a strength player, someone who relies a lot on their strength um, and size. Uh, but I I I I don't know. They're not quite. Uh, I don't know. They didn't click in that match, and when they went for the um, finish, yeah, it was awkward, and it was a little uncomfortable. Um, yeah, Big Swole, Alex Gracia was quite clunky, um, but again, you know, in a year's time, are these are, if these four women had these matches again, after having more matches, would they would they give better matches? Would they have a better match? Of course they would. Um, I I don't doubt that they could have better matches within the next couple of months, uh, than what they did. But yeah, it it it's a shame that no one talk, no one talks about the good of dark. The only time people have ever really talked about the good of dark was brand uh, was when Ben Carter was on dark. And, you know, you can tell that just came because everyone heard that he was trained by Seth Rollins. And he was very good, but he, he also had matches with very good wrestlers. You know, Lee Johnson was excellent in in his match with him. And, yeah, you know, um, yeah, it's 
It's a shame that no one talks about the good of Dark on a weekly basis, but you'll always get the people that rag on the absolute negatives of Dark. And there's no question, the, the negatives on Dark is like going to your local indie show, but that's because that's what it is. This is your, this is your equivalent, whilst everything is still up in the air. Um, so, I mean, to complain about it, I mean, you're, you're watching free wrestling, you know, it, you're watching free wrestling, it's on YouTube, so it's not like you need to stay up for a certain time, or you need to, you know, or you're paying for it. This is free wrestling that you can watch whenever you like. Do you do you really need to rip into it to the point where you are basically saying these people shouldn't be wrestling? I mean, that's to me that's just completely unnecessary, you know. And um, yeah, should probably move on from that because I could go on about it forever about the unfair treatment. <laughs> um, so what we'll do is we will go straight into what happened on Dynamite. Straight into what happened on Dynamite. And we kicked off with the Dark Order coming out, celebrating Brody Lee Jr.'s birthday, negative one. Um, I mean, every, everyone loves the moments where where, junior, where Brody Jr.'s out there. Uh, the fans love it. Um, they love what they're doing, um, you know, it's it's had such a profound effect on the faction. What's happened recently, the Dark Order, that um, you know they came out of the babyface tunnel. It's it's a small thing, but the Dark Order came out of a babyface tunnel. On dynamite, I believe that's the first time. Um, yeah, you know, just. Uh, I love the Dark Order and their baby f and their baby faces right now. They shouldn't be, but they are baby faces right. Now. That's why I'm going ugh because it's yes, it's a good thing that they're baby faces, but uh, you know, yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe that's just me now being too much of a of a cr critical fan. Either way, this was a nice segment again. It, it's always nice to see. Brody Jr. out with the Dark Order, celebrating his birthday. Chaos Project come out, basically... Uh, Dr. Luther basically has a back and forward with, with Brody Jr. And um, this leads to a brawl between the Dark Order and Chaos Project. And of course, uh, TH2 come out to help Chaos Project. And then eventually the Hangman comes out. Because the, the first scheduled match is indeed going to be uh, a Hybrid 2 and Chaos Project versus four members of the Dark Order. Reynolds, Silver, Colt Cabana and, well, Hangman. Even though Hangman's not a member of the Dark Order, he is fighting with the Dark Order. Um, just before we go into this, just a small thing. Lots of fans do not like multi-man matches, six-man matches, eight-man matches. Listen... You cannot complain because I see some of the people I, I'm on Twitter all the time. So some of the people who do not like the eight man matches are also some people that complain about the lack of people getting exposure on television. P make up your mind, <laughs> make up your mind. Eight man matches are one of the best ways to make sure that at least you get some TV time. You at least get a check for, for being there. You know, you've got to. 
you've got to broaden your horizons a bit. This isn't WWE. This isn't New Japan. This isn't an indie show. This is AEW. And um, they're going to find their own balance of things. And you're going to like some things and you're not going to like some things. Um, that's basically the consensus of the show and for every argument you can have about the show. <laughs> um, so, this was probably... Yeah, I could probably say with 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 quite a lot of... Um, with quite a lot of gusto that this was the best match of the night. Uh, AEW, they're so good at opening up with good matches. They really are. And, uh, yeah... So that's what we saw. We saw Hangman and the Dark Order beat the Chaos Project and uh, the Hybrid 2. John Silver, well, what came first, actually? Yeah, I'll tell you what happened first. Uh, they continued the Brody Lee Jr. thing after the show. Luther had been dropped in a cake at the top of the ramp. Um, they sort of uh, ragged on um, Serpentico a little bit. After the match, you know, Brody got to say, you got to crash my birthday. No, that's not how it works. Hit him with a kendo stick, threw papers at him like his dad used to. And the Dark Order basically boots Serpentico off the stage. Uh, and Preston Vance poses with negative one and uh, carries him out of the arena. Um, or at least out of shot. And um, we then cut to John Silver... Uh, bigging up Hangman, you know, giving it all the sugar, you know, he's, he's sugarcoating everything, he's, he's handsome, he's so talented, he gets down on one knee, and he asks the Hangman if he wants to join the Dark Order, and Hangman says, he sort of stuttered it out, that he can't, and as soon as he says that, a little bit of pyro, big graphic on the screen, he said yes. <laughs> People start coming out uh, in, in cowboy gear, looking like they're away to dance, and then they have to end up... Um... <laughs> they had to get him off this. It was a great segment, you know. It was one of those funny, but still kind of sad moments. <laughs> it was mainly funny. Um but the ending, you know, is important because um, I said there's there's a significance in the Dark Order coming in through the babyface ramp, the babyface tunnel uh, at the beginning, as did Hangman. At the end of the segment, after saying that he wasn't rude to the Dark Order and the Dark Order weren't rude to him after, it was a genuine, oh, okay, he said no. And... He grabs a bottle of, I believe, Jack, Jack Daniels from uh, Stu Grayson. And Hangman leaves through the heel tunnel. Now, some people say there's not a lot to read into through the tunnels. It's, it's a lie, right? The first time Kenny Omega ever went through the heel tunnel was the night when he left Hangman in the ring that one time. Which ramp these guys go through and leave through I think is very significant and um, so even though Hangman a couple of months ago saying no to the Dark Order would have been a, a babyface move maybe because of the situation right now Hangman saying no to the Dark Order is being more perceived as a as a heel action 
it it'll be interesting to see where they go with that. Hangman and the Dark Order story is 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 far from over. I I know that. Um, but yeah, great opener. Everything else after that, pretty good. But that that opener was phenomenal. <clears throat> um, so Cody beat Peter Avalon. Peter Avalon got um probably uh, yeah definitely his longest match on on Dynamite to date. Um. The commentary team were putting over that Cody says he was going to beat Peter Avalon within 60 seconds. Within no time at all, he hits the crossroads. He takes a little bit of a pause before he goes for a cover or for another crossroads. And uh, we hear new, we hear music come over. Uh, I automatically assume that uh, it's going to be Jade Cargill. You hear a woman's voice. I believe it's um, There's a Storm Coming. Or something along those lines. And yeah, Jade Cargill comes out. She just poses at the top of the ramp. But it's long enough for Peter Avalon to get the low blow. Uh, attack Cody's knee. And then they have the match after that. Cargill just leaves, by the way. It was a very brief distraction. So they're still they're still keeping this Shaq-Cody-Cargill thing alive. Um, I have a feeling that it'll now... My original theory for this was that Cody and Brandy were going to have an intergender tag match with Shaq and Jade Cargill. That, that was my initial uh, prediction. However, with Brandy getting pregnant um, and Cody being... Co Cody likes to continue on with stories. He doesn't really like to pause them for huge amounts of time. Um... I think he just appreciates the value of momentum and, and being, you know, fresh in, in your audience's head. Um, so I think the plan going forward could be still the intergender match. However, it would now be Cody and Red Velvet versus Jade Cargill and Shaq. Um, they're taking a big risk with Cargill. I'll say this now. They're taking a big risk with Cargill. We haven't seen her wrestle yet. And they are pushing her like she is a big star. Okay? And as I talked about with Dark, the AEW women's division already gets a lot of heat from fans. I believe most of it's completely unnecessary, but sometimes there is the odd point which stands out as being true and, and hard to ignore. And... Um, yeah... Yeah, in this case, it's hard to ignore that the women are having matches that fans just aren't being impressed by often enough. And the main, well, one of the biggest physically imposing looking women that they've got on the show isn't wrestling. That's, I understand where some fans are coming from with this because that doesn't look good. Car Cargill should have fought by now. Even if Brandy wasn't pregnant, Cargill should have had a match before that. Whether this is because she's not actually a wrestler, she's just an athlete slash businesswoman who's decided she wants to start wrestling. They took one look at her and she goes, and they went, well, yeah, she'd make a good wrestler. Or if she actually is a wrestler, I don't know. I've never seen footage of Jade Cargill wrestling. Um, so... I think the angle is an intergender match, and maybe the reason they're taking so slow is because they are training up Jade, or there was something in the works for Shaq. I don't know. It, it, it's, be, it's become quite a gray area of thought for me right now, and to be honest, it, it doesn't help the women's division. 
uh, having someone so physically imposing, someone who we're supposed to believe will be a dominant woman in the division and she hasn't done anything. I mean, that would be like if Nyla was doing the same thing. If Nyla was just going around cutting promos and she hadn't even wrestled a match yet, not a lot of fans would care. Or at least a lot of fans would just go, oh, I can't wait for her to start wrestling. And then what if what if she's not as shit hot as the hype she carries with her look? You know, that that's always a thing. You always get these amazing looking wrestlers. It doesn't matter what gender. You get these amazing looking wrestlers and then they get going and they can't go. Right? So we'll see what happens with Jade Cargill. I believe that from looking at her physique, she needs to... Yeah, we'll see what happens with her. I, I, I just think she needs to fight. I, I, I really do. I think she needs to fight, and she needs to do it sooner rather than later. Even if she squashes someone after 20 seconds, just get it out there. Put it out there. Show the pinfall. Show her getting a victory. It changes a lot of fans' minds when you see someone win for the first time. First victory changes absolutely everything. So that was that segment. Then we, I'm not sure if I've missed the first half or the second half at this point. Another thing that's going on whilst this is going on, the whole show, is the Young Bucks go to Kenny Omega's house. They go to Kenny Omega's house, um, clearly to try and maybe get an explanation or at least clear the air because of all the shit that had happened, uh, you know, the previous week when they got duped. Um, the Young Bucks weren't going to be wrestling with Omega. It was the Good Brothers. <clears throat> they go to the house. Nakazawa's there. He takes them to the house. He says Kenny will wait for them. Uh, eventually, Callis shows up. Don Callis shows up. Kenny's not here. Is basically the message. Kenny's not here. Oh, Kenny's not been answering his phone either. And Dad Callis said, oh, he's got a new number now, you know, ever since winning the title. Everyone's been blowing it up. Everyone wants to, you know, ask him for help or whatever. Um, basically, this leads to the point where Callis and Nick, uh, Matt and Nick are being offered checks from Callis. Uh, basically, I think to back off. Um, I think was the gist of it. Oh, I know you've been good friends with Kenny for a long time, but here, take this money and, you know, just accept what's happening. It's basically the gist of what felt like it was going on. Matt and Nick, um, <laughs> they throw a job at Impact saying they used to work for Impact, so they know that the checks that Callis gave them are, is, is no, are no good. And um, they tear them up, throw them back at him, and the connotation is that the Young Bucks just beat the shit out of Don Callis. Although we don't hear it or see it. We just hear him, not scream, but you know, like, oh, whatever you would do before you're about to get beat the fuck up. <laughs> um, the second half to this segment was Kenny being in the building, not his house. He was there the, at um, Jacksonville. And so is Callis. So Kenny, you know, Marvez lingering around. Omega really doesn't like Marvez. Comes into the locker room. Callis is on the phone. Kenny's happy to see Callis. Callis is wearing, puts on his sunglasses. He's very clearly got a huge, huge collection of bruises and sores around his eye and cheek. 
his right eye and cheek. And Kenny immediately, well, Callus immediately dismisses it as an accident. This is where it gets interesting. Callus did not jump on the opportunity to blame the Bucks. He did try to pass it off as an accident first. I don't know if that was just a bluff or whatever. But he passed it off as an accident. He doesn't want Kenny getting upset. Kenny's getting upset anyway. He's figured it out. A person did this. It, this, it had to be a person, Don. You know, don't lie to me. And Callis didn't say that he did it. He just basically threw Nick and Matt's names into the conversation. Kenny was horrified. He was horrified. But before really anything could come of this, uh, Callis and Omega were both very furious that Marvez had then walked into their locker room for the interview, kicked him out, and that was the end of the segment. So, so there's clearly going to be a spin on Kenny versus the Bucks. Um, this kind of ties into a future prediction I have about um, Kenny and the Good Brothers will eventually face off against a reunited Young Bucks and Hangman Adam Page. Um, yeah. It, this is this is going to be this is another continuation on what's already been an epic story. Uh, Kenny and the Bucks, the last year and a half, ish. They've they've given us some fantastic stuff. They've really given us some fantastic stuff, and um, I'm very grateful to watch storytelling like this. I'm. Mean, Everyone says that AEW is all the flips and no psychology. Uh, watch an AEW show and then watch any other show. Um, you will very clearly see which one has more psychology. Um, you know, and that's not just me throwing around terms that I've heard on Twitter. I understand the concept of all of it. I'd love to be a pro wrestler. I, AEW tell the better stories. And it's because it's stories that the athletes want to tell, which makes it better. So I can't wait to see where we go with this, with Kenny, the Bucks, with Callis, the Good Brothers, maybe Hangman down the line. There's a lot of people that can be potentially tied into this, including the actual Bullet Club from New Japan. That'll be a fantasy booking topic for the future, no doubt. Uh, John Moxley, first match, I believe. Uh, since losing his title to Omega. Um, thank God it wasn't a two-minute squash match. I, I genuinely thought that's where we would go with this um, because that's what we used to do with Moxley. We, we gave him a couple of quick victories. Um, then it came the, the longer, bigger victories. Then came the title. He had an excellent match with Nick Comorado. Um Comorado, 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 he's, he's brilliant. I mean, the dude's over 260, he's six foot four, built like a brick shit house. He looks great. Comorado looks great in, in that ring. And Moxley looks great, whoever he fights. Uh, he still looks great. He actually looks a little bit leaner uh, than he did in 2020. Not sure if that's just because he was standing next to uh, Nick Comorado, but... Moxley looked, um, he looked damn good. He looked pretty well trimmed. Uh, he, he looked like he was, he was ready to go. He was ready to go on another uh, path, you know, a long path. Um, he wants that title. The only person he, he 
dirtied his mouth with with talking about was was Kenny and was Kenny and um, whoever the elite are, you know. So basically, Mox is saying, "Well, Kenny, whoever's associated with you, I'm gonna beat up as well." Um, so Moxley's not done with Kenny. Um, this this makes me believe that AEW will try to book a Moxley versus Kenny rematch. Although I would air caution. Because I don't think anybody wants to see that match. Um, I think if it was a triple threat with Pac, I think then we could be talking. Because then it would be the first uh, triple threat to main event an AEW pay-per-view. Revolution, Pac versus Moxley versus Omega for the title. I mean, you couldn't make it any bigger if you tried, really. Um... Yeah, Moxley, Moxley's, um, they're going to put him on a path for the world title again. Um, I just, he's he became so good throughout his title run. Like, he was great to begin with, but he got so good. People bought into the promos. They they loved seeing him with the belt, the way he carried himself, the, the matches he had, the defenses. People love John Moxley now in AEW. Like, he is... He's the shit in this company. People love John Moxley, man. They love him. And uh, yeah, this victory over Nick Comoroto starts it all. Matt Hardy and Private Party beat Top Flight and Matt Seidel. This was the sort of match you were expecting, but maybe not quite as high flying as you might have thought. Um, there were moments, for sure, um, but this was definitely trying to prove that Private Party and Top Flight can go on the ground just as well as they can in the air, which is very important. Matt Seidel and Matt Hardy, two very experienced wrestlers to have in there with those two young teams. And you know something? It was a very good six-man match. Again, telling a story. Telling the story. Um, Matt Hardy's gone heel. You know, he's big money. Matt, he's, he is a heel Matt Hardy now. With a baby-faced private party who don't like his tactics, Hardy takes 50% of their winnings through this whole contract thing they've got going on. But in this match, private party, I believe it was uh, Isaiah Cassidy, actually. It was Isaiah cheated. He hit one of the members of the opposite team. I think it was a member of Top Flight. With a steel chair. And at first, both members of Private Party kind of looked at each other like, what did you just do? Isaiah starts smiling. Quinn starts smiling. Mark Quinn hits the moonsault. One, two, three. Private Party and Matt Hardy win. And Private Party just did their first ever heel turn. Their first ever heel turn. And it's because of Matt Hardy. You know what? I'm invested. And considering Private Party, if you don't know this already, they are the number one contenders to the Impact World Tag Team titles. I'm so I'm loving this. I, I love what they're doing with Private Party. Um, this is great. I, I, to get them heels as well, man, uh, this is it's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, I'm totally for Hardy and the Private Party being healed together. Um, 
totally for it. Completely for it. It's gonna be it's gonna be a blast seeing them together. I think I think they're only just well, I know they're only just getting started. So <clears throat> um brief segment with the inner circle, MJF being MJF, you know, just talking. Um trying to be the nice guy to the rest of the inner circle. Guevara's not having any of it. Leading to the main event, which of course involves all the inner circle. There's two two things that happened before then, though. The first one is uh, Penelope Ford versus Layla Hirsch. This match... Now, you've heard me sort of agreeing that Big Swole and Alex Gracia... And Marty Daniels and Shanna didn't really have the best of matches. This wasn't a four or five star match. But I think Ford and Hirsch were both pretty damn good in this match. Um, It wasn't really a last minute match, I guess. I guess they've had a couple of days to prepare, I think. Um, I'm not sure when it was Nyla announced she wasn't coming. Um... But yeah, all all things considered, I like this match. Um, And we were showing Miro with his new butler, Charles Taylor. Chuck Taylor, now Charles Taylor. I love it. I think that's that's just fantastically pretentious. It's it's got, it's it's a Miro idea. It's so, it's one of those things where it's like, Chuck Taylor, my butler, what if we call you Charles? Like that, that, that's got Miro written all over it. If you know the guy... On a personal level, when you watch his stuff on Thingy, it had to be his idea, calling him Charles. I think that's amazing. Um, it's going to totally piss him off. I, I, I like it. I like it. We're, we're, we're building Miro up to be um, a bit of a dickhead, um, which is necessary. That's who he's going to be. He's the best man. He's going to be a dick. He's going to do everything he needs to do. Um, Watch out for Miro in 2021. I know that this started by talking about Penelope Ford and Layla Hirsch. Um, they had a good match, right? Hirsch, Hirsch, the more victories they give her over time, the more popular she'll be because she wrestles. You know, she's not all about doing the splits or flips or whatever. Hirsch is, she's small, she's low to the ground, and she... Likes a good waist lock. She's she's a good she's a good wrestler. She's a good wrestler. That's as simple as that. And Ford is Ford is good overall. She's one of the she's one of the unsung talents in in that division. Um, I don't think she's like top three, um, but I mean she's obviously top ten. Uh, the top ten of AEW are pretty good. You know, they're all pretty good and better than pretty good. So the top ones are excellent, whether it be at promos or, or the in-ring work. Um, but it is becoming an issue that the co-main event of Dynamite is the only slot. It's like the bookmark slot for the women. And that's a good thing. Having a slot bookmark for a whole division, of course that's a big deal. And it's the co-main event. Of course it's a big deal. But let's see a little more, okay? I, I I hate reading these comments about fucking how the women aren't getting enough exposure. There's two reasons why they're not. One, there's no tag division. And two, they're only having one match on Dynamite a week. Now, I'm not saying give them, you know, just, oh, we'll have three women's matches on Dynamite. 
You don't need to do that. You just need to then put good women's matches on dark. I'm not knocking anybody. What I mean by that is like, um, if if uh, you know Nyla fights on dark, that's that's the right move. Having Nyla and Swole and all those women on dark is good. Let's see more of that. Let's see more of that. And um, yeah, I'm. Uh, Forden Hirsch, good match. Miro, look out for him. And of course, their wedding will be in a couple of weeks. Penelope Ford and Kip Sabian. Uh, the last proper segment of the night was the Good Brothers and Kenny Omega beating down Penta El Zero Miedo all by himself. Um, yeah, and that was all we really got, really. It was just Kenny taking off a shoe, jamming it in the face of uh, Penta after the beatdown. And uh, we then go to our main event. And uh, just to get it out of the way, during the main event, it was advertised that the Good Brothers and Kenny Omega will face Pac, Phoenix, and Moxley in a six-man match. That's enormous. That's a huge, that's a major match, man. That is an epic match. That is that is dream match level stuff. Phoenix, Pac, and Moxley versus the Good Brothers and Omega. If you had said that to anybody two years ago... They'd have told you you were on some crazy acid. Crazy acid. That's, that match is going to be awesome, man. That's going to be so good. And um, then we transition. Then I will transition. Main event. Triple threat tag team match. Inner circle. Santana and Ortiz versus Sammy and Hager. Who got a nice little video of support from the Sammy Hagar. I thought that was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Hearing, hey, it's Sammy Hager showing my sport for Sammy and Hager. I lost my shit. Lost my shit. So funny. And uh, Chris Jericho and MGF. This match um, was mostly brilliant. And I say mostly because I'm about to say something which some people won't like. But unfortunately, I don't I don't like it either. Right? I don't like it either. I don't like ever pointing out something with AEW. But to get it out of the way, my one gripe on this match is Chris Jericho looked very slow. Not knocking Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho has done things and will continue to do things that I will never be able to do. I'm not ragged. I respect the man more than anything. But in this match, he looked a little slow. And that's probably because he's in there with Santana, Ortiz, Sammy Guevara, MJF, and, and, an, and an MMA fighter in Jake Hager. He didn't look good. Everyone else looked great. And this was one of Hager's best performances. I'll get that out there. This was, uh, for me, this might have been Jericho's weakest match in AEW yet. Maybe it was because of his role or what, but a couple of the moves, oh man, he did, he did his lion salt and he landed on his head before his body landed on, I think it was Guevara he was supposed to land on or Hager. 
Oh, I was I was so scared in that moment. I just went, "Oh my god, he's just landed on his head." Not like on the on the on the top of his head. He likes forehead first. Like you know what the line salt is. So imagine how he hit his head first. Right? That's how low to the ground this lion salt was. Um it was a, it was scary. It was scary. I've got to say I thought I really thought that he had seriously done something but he was very lucky i uh, say lucky i mean he is talented you know but god oh god man that, that moment oh it sent shivers down my spine man i i i thought for a brief moment that was it i thought oh god that's jericho's just he's done his neck but nope he he landed his weight came down on the other side of his body just in time so that the weight didn't crash on his head so it so he hit his head but he didn't he didn't really have a weighted landing if if you know what i mean it was it was a it was a close escape basically it was it was close god forbid i'm not saying him never do the lion salt again but if he does that again god uh scared me man it's it scared me it's it's not one of those moments where it's like oh it's an older guy endangering a younger guy or a younger guy endangering an older guy it was just fatigue it was just he didn't hit it right you know it was the most basic of risk that everybody takes in a ring what if you don't hit your move properly or what if it you know and as i said he got away with it but god for that moment i was i was very scared i i was very scared um, so now that I've got that out of the way, I just want to say the rest of the match was fabulous. It was fabulous. And um, yeah, and I'm not even I'm not even like being over exaggerate. I'm not even over exaggerating like that. If we're talking from like a wrestling quality perspective, again, this isn't a. F- this wouldn't be classed as a four or five star match, but for storytelling, for putting individuals over, and for for some creative spots, some brilliant spots, you know, this is a solid three plus star match. This was a good match. I as I said before, this was Jake Hager's. This was my favorite performance by Hager. This isn't his best. It's not his best wrestling match. Because it's not, it wasn't mainly about him. It was a tag. You can never really say it's his best match when there's a bunch of singles wrestlers in a tag team match. But performance and and spots that would make the average fan, you know, chuckle or just go, yeah, yeah, good, good shit. That was Hager in that match. Hager uh, standing up to Jericho with the bat and just booting him in the face. MJF squaring up to Hager with the ring on his finger and Hager just smacking him in the jaw. Shit like that is what will get Jake Hager over. Jake Hager was probably um him and Sammy him and Sammy got over the most in this match. Santana and Ortiz kept everybody together. Uh Jericho and MJF had their bizarre dynamic, which we will continue to see as they won the match. Um but Guevara and Hager in that match, they were excellent. Um, it was a good match. So, that was this week's Dark and Dynamite. Um, 
quite varied, a little bit of a roller coaster. But ultimately, uh, another solid week from the promotion. I hope everyone's taken care still during these trying times. Uh, I hope everyone in America is um, starting to feel a little bit more relaxed with the news of the new President of the United States. Congratulations, Mr. Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. Um, as for my friends in the UK, well, we know where we stand and, well, we, we'll just have to continue to be patient to see something good. <laughs> um, everyone continues to take care uh, and try to enjoy life as much as possible. I recommend watching wrestling and UFC. Take care, everybody.